Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin to bring the series that we've done all summer long, the God Spectrum, to a close. Matthew chapter 5. Starting with verse 14. This has been our text scripture for the series. You are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. Now, one thing about light, it does not ask darkness permission to shine. Your light. Be who you are. You are the light of the world. So the brightness that is shown in the world, it's not up to the darkness, it's up to you. If you said the world is too dark, do something about it. Oh, the darkness is too bad in my neighborhood, do something about it. Well, I don't like what's going on in my city, do something about it. You see, one of the things the church has fallen into this trap, we expect more out of politicians than we do us as individual believers. Because if you believe, I don't care what side you're on, if you believe that Trump or Biden is for the salvation of America, you've made an idol out of a man. There's only one thing that will save in America, and it's an awakening to God. So it doesn't matter what party you're in, I encourage you, research, do your, do your own research, vote, read platforms, do your own due diligence. Vote, that is your civic duty. But don't expect a man to do what God called you to do. It's not the job of the president to be the light of the world. It's your job. And we have to make sure we don't get caught up in the national drama, the national division, the political divide. Because you got believers fighting believers. But you know what happens in November after the election's over, if it ends on election night, that's a matter to pray for. Something else we'll talk about later. Do you know what happens afterwards? It's done. You'll see it again in about three years, but it's done. But those same believers that you went face-to-face -face with and destroyed relationships with are the ones you're going to need going forward. Because I don't care who you like, but Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden are not coming to your house to check on you. Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump aren't going to call you and say, hey, how you doing? How's mama and them? How's Pookie? They ain't gonna do that but your brothers and sisters in faith will. So yes, politics are important. Yes, who we elect is important. But put it in order of who you're supposed to be as a Christian first, as a believer first. You do not have to respond to every ignorant comment on Facebook. Ignorance abounds. You know, I saw this meme and you know, it rings true. It says, I know that God made 
the lame to walk, and the blind to see, but Facebook has made the dumb to speak. You don't have to respond to everything. You say, well, I'm having a hard time processing social media. Get off. Don't be absorbed into it. Remember, you're called to be light. Watch out for anything that will cause you to back away from being light. This is your job, to be light. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, which means after he left, it's your job. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, this word shine means to radiate brilliancy. It means to beam. It means to give light. Now, a lot of times, what we also do as believers as the church, it's like, well, it is the job of the preacher to be the light. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they are the lights. Well, yes, we are to be lights. The Bible does refer to pastors as stars in, in the book of Revelation. And so there is a job on the leadership to be the light, but it's not just the leadership's job to be the light. It's every single believer. You say, well, how can I be the light? I'm not standing behind a pulpit. Your life is your pulpit. You don't have to stand behind this pulpit to be the light. You see, this word work here says may see your good works. So one of the ways you shine is by doing your good works. Now, we know we're not saved by works. The Bible makes it very clear. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith. And so it is our faith that laid hold to the grace of God that calls us to be born again and walk in the salvation lifestyle. But as you read through the book of James, we show our faith by our works. So we show what we believe by what we do. Now, what's interesting about this word work here in Matthew 5, it means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied in, that which one undertakes to do. It means enterprise, any product, whatever, anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. It means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied in, that which one undertakes to do, Enterprise, any product, whatever, anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. That covers whatever career you're in. That covers whatever you do on a regular basis. That covers hobbies. That covers things that you're researching, things that you're doing. Not just spiritual things. We try to regulate light to spiritual things. But whatever you do is light. Wherever you go is light because you are the light of the world. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're called to be light. Doesn't matter your age, you're called to be light. Doesn't matter your grade, you're called to be light. Doesn't matter your background, you're called to be light. I'm gonna read it from the message version. It's where I got the title of the series, The God Spectrum. Matthew 5. And it says it this way. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God. 
this generous father in heaven. You know, one of the things, even though we're in this time of this worldwide pandemic and we have sheltering in place and have to wear masks and all these different precautions we have to take, and there's nothing wrong with taking those precautions, people think it hinders the church from being the light. It doesn't. You can still be the light with a mask on. Oh, God can't move. Yes, he can. We saw last week people got filled with the Holy Ghost with their mask on. People got healed with the mask on. The mask does not hinder the Holy Ghost. It may hinder your mindset, but it's not hinder the Holy Ghost. You say, oh, we have to stand in lines at grocery store. Well, you had to stand in lines at grocery store before. Stop making up excuses fed by news media, fed by political parties, why you can't be the light. You just might have to be more creative and innovative with how you be the light. You may have to go a little the extra mile to be the light. But that's our calling. That's our job. That's what God has called us to do. Let's go to Isaiah 60, another scripture we looked at in the series. Say, I am the light of the world. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So say, the glory of God is on me. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. So there's going to be a time of massive ignorance to the things of God. But the Lord shall rise upon you. Say, that's me. And his glory shall be seen upon you. Say, that's me. And the Gentiles shall come to your light. Say, that's me. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Say, that's me. But notice what made the difference, the light and the glory. You know, we looked at in Colossians 4, 6 before that our speech should be seasoned in such a way that our conversations are attractive to people. It says, let your speech be always seasoned with grace. And I'm talking about like light seasoning. I'm talking about people who like a lot of seasoning. Anybody in here who like a lot of seasoning? You see, there's different ways to season food. And you know, I season food, but also anoint my food with hot sauce. <laughs> and if you know my family, we all like our hot sauce. To the point that when we first started this church in 1993 in Fayetteville, we would have, you know, dinners afterward. It was be staff and my family were down here. And, you know, one little bottle of hot sauce was not enough for that table. And this is before, you know, Costco and Sam's Club was super popular. But they had this big old jug of Red Hot. And so they would take the jug and these styrofoam eight-ounce cups, and they would fill them up and put multiple cups around the table. And then I would, I was seven at the time, I would take my cup and anoint my chicken till it ran over. Why? I like spice. To such an extent, my wife's like, there's got to be something wrong with you. How, how can you deal with that uh, intensity? But that's how our conversation should be. Overflowing with the grace of God. That's how our lifestyle should be. Overflowing with the light of God with the glory of God, so that what we do draws people to us. Now, I'm not calling people flies, but in the same way, at night when the light is on and flies and moths and everything are attracted to it, that's how our life should be. 
where people are drawn to us, not because it's us, but because we're the light of the world. And what happens when people are drawn to you, you can tell them about Jesus. And so parents, you have to think this way, that as you're raising your kids or your teenagers and they go to school and they're making decisions who are their friends, they will have some friends and people in their life who aren't the best people to be around. But for some reason, they wanna be around your kid and your family. Why? You're the light of the world. Now, that doesn't mean they had to sleep over your house and all the other stuff, but you figure out with the wisdom of God in prayer how to be a light to that kid and that family. Because who knows? There could be no one in his family or bloodline that knows Jesus, but because he ran into your family, he gets saved or she gets saved, and they change their whole family because your family was a light. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to get to the bat in a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by, our, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. It's talking about the rapture of the church. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a fallen away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth, which is the same word for withholdeth, will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now this word withholdeth and letteth in the King James means to hold back, detain, retain, restrain, and hinder the course of the progress of. This word means to hold back, it means to detain, it means to restrain, and hinder the course of the progress of. So Paul, when he went to Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, he preached a message teaching that church that there is somebody on the earth that is holding back, restraining, and detaining the Antichrist. And one of the things is, is the mystery of iniquity is already at work, and John calls them spirits of Antichrist. And so there is the Antichrist that is to come and be revealed in the future, but there's also an agenda the Antichrist has. But there are people in the earth, there's somebody in the earth that's holding back the Antichrist and his agenda that's restraining him, that's detaining him, that hinders the course of the progress of the Antichrist and his agenda. And you know, some people say, oh, it's the Holy Ghost. Well, no, that can't be true. Because if it's the Holy Ghost and he's taken away, that means nobody can get saved, right? The chief agenda of the Holy Spirit is salvation. And when you read about the tribulation, and you see it in many different books of Bible, not just the book of Revelation, one of the things you see is hundreds of millions, even billions of people getting saved. So the Holy Ghost is still here. So who is taking away the church? By you drawing breath, by you just being here, the Antichrist can't show up. Remember, you're the salt and the light. 
Now, how much his agenda gets done before he's revealed is up to you. It's up to your resistance. It's up to you holding back. Remember, it tells us in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, to resist the devil and he will what? Flee. That word flee means run in stark terror. But if you don't resist, he won't flee. But we've gotten so used to the darkness, we allow the darkness to move in next door and say nothing about it. Now, I'm not talking about people. It's talking about what we put up with. That we don't pray about things until way after it happened. See, people say, oh, we should pray for election. Yes, we should always pray for elections, but we should have been praying for this election decades ago. Well, why do you say that? Prayer prepares the way. And prayer causes people to be raised up. Prayer even causes people to be born into the earth. Because remember, for 400 years, Israel was crying out. They were praying, and God caused Moses to be born. And when God wants to do something in the earth, he causes a child to be born. And so if the church took up its job in prayer, there have been somebody who was already raised up for this time. Because you got to think, you look at any of the people who have been president over the last 50, 60 years, even 100 years, they all will name the name of Jesus. They all say that they're born again or follow Jesus. They all will. But when you look at their lives, most of them are baby Christians. They don't have a depth of the word of God. And so sometimes it makes me think, who was assigned to come across their path? Because someone came across their path and they got saved. But who was supposed to come across their path and teach them and disciple them and raise them up further? And the reason laborers come across people's path is not by chance or by accident. It's because the church prayed. And that's why Jesus said, pray for more laborers. So it's our job not just to pray for this election, but 2024, 2028, Yes, national elections, but also local elections, praying that God raises up the right people and sends the right people to minister unto them and train them. Because one of the things also is God has people to, he calls to speak to people in offices. In the Old Testament, they were known as the palace prophets. In the New Testament, you have five ministry gifts that God could send to speak to them. So you're supposed to be praying for leadership that God raises up the right one and he sends the right people to minister to them. We have a lot to pray about on a regular basis. And sometimes we only pray about elections till it's the election year. And they all start praying after the last debate is over. Well, you know, well, great, pray, but by the time the last debate is over, tens of millions of people have already voted. We gotta pray every day. Our prayer life causes light to manifest. Our prayer life is one of the ways we hold back the powers of darkness. And it's not, kill them, Jesus! Strike them down with a great lightning bolt from your mighty hand. No, you pray the word. You just take time and you pray in the spirit. And if you have times where it's like you're just so irritated with a candidate or person in office that I can't say anything nice, talk about them in tongues. Lord, them. And you pray in the Holy Ghost. God never said he had to like them. He did say you have to pray for them. It's our job as the church to pray for whoever is in office and not become so in love with political idolatry that we refuse to be the church just because there's an elephant or a donkey in the place. We must follow the lamb more than we follow elephants and donkeys. We have to be the light.
So that's why I'm calling today's message, step up to the plate. Step up to the plate. Now, when I grew up, see, I grew up, you know, lived in Michigan until seven, then we moved down here. And so I grew up in Georgia for 10 years before I moved back to Michigan and went to college and was in Texas and came back here in 2013. But growing up, one of the things is our parents want us to be exposed to as much as possible. And so we did a little bit of everything. And I do mean a little bit of everything. Yes, we were very involved in church. Yes, we were involved in the arts, theater, music, band, choir, all that stuff. But we were also involved in sports. And so growing up, I didn't care too much about sports. I like watching, but I didn't really care much about playing. But because, you know, they wanted us to have healthy and exercise, I was in at least two sports a year, if not more. Actually, three, if you include karate. So I was in karate up until what, sometime in high school, brown belt, whatever. But also, we played basketball every winter. But every spring, until a certain point, we played baseball. Now, I like watching baseball. I like being in the stadium more than on TV, but I like watching baseball. But I didn't care too much about playing it. Now, I had a younger brother who liked to play a lot, and I had a cousin who was just great at playing it. But I didn't care too much about it. And, but one of the things about baseball is that you will miss every pitch if you never step up to the plate. You will miss every single pitch you never swing at. And here's one of the reasons I remember, I think I was eight or nine, that I didn't want to always step up to the plate because you got to think, the people pitching, they're seven to eight too. They don't know what they're doing. And by accident, they may hit me with the ball. Come on. Anybody else ever thought that way? And so I would be nervous sometimes about stepping up to the plate because I might get hit. And a lot of the church is nervous about stepping up to the plate because they might get hit. I guarantee you in your life, you're going to get hit. I guarantee you in your life, Satan will attack. I guarantee you will use affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness and riches and lust of other things. He will come against you. That's why 1 Peter 9 says, all these afflictions are accomplished by your brethren in the world. You're not the only one going through something. But if you never step up to the plate, you'll miss it every time. You have to step up to the plate and you gotta square up. And you have to swing. What if I miss? Swing again. What if I strike out? You'll have another turn at bat. You have to swing. You have to do something. You have to step up to the plate. And so I remember all those times of practice and practice and going to practices and the in-between practices, going to batting cages and in-between all those things, you know, going to the field with my dad, practicing and practicing until I was at the point saying, yeah, I don't feel like playing baseball anymore. But then a number of years later, I was youth pastor. And so I was hanging out with the guys I was a youth pastor of. I said, let's go to the batting cages. And so I was like, I'll go first. I stepped in there and I killed every single thing that came at me to the point where the dudes were like, what? I said, what? I played as a kid. I didn't like it, but I played as a kid. And what happened? I called my dad and said, you won't guess what happened. <laughs> I said, remember all those years we spent practicing and really didn't care about baseball? <laughs> I went to the batting cages today and killed it. Every single pitch. Do you know why? It wasn't that I practiced that day. I hadn't practiced it for years. But what was put in me came out. 
You have to understand, some of you have been going to church for years, decades, half a century, more than that. Stuff has been put into you for years. It's time for it to come out. And it'll never come out until you step up to the plate, until you square up and swing. This is the time for the church to step up to the plate and swing. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are here to make a difference and not just put up with the darkness and not have, are you afraid of the dark theology? Where you're hiding in the closet waiting for Jesus to come back because it's so dark outside. Treating the rapture as a black ops mission. No. When we leave, it's our triumphant exit because we did our job as the light. It says he's come back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That's a church filled with light, not a church in hiding. A church who's making the difference. We have to step up to the plate. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. We've talked about the gifts of the Spirit in this service. You know, Minister H talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and Minister Reggie talked about the grace gifts. But we're going to talk about the last two gifts of the Spirit that we hadn't covered so far. There's three categories of the gifts. There are inspirational or vocal gifts, means that they're gifts that say something. And those are the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. There's the revelation gifts or gifts that reveal something, which we've identified as a word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. But then there are the gifts of power or the power gifts, gifts that do something, which are the gifts of healings, the gift of special faith, and the working of miracles. You see that in verse 9. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. One of the things we said about the gifts of the spirit is they only operate as a Holy Ghost wills for them to operate. And he's very willing. But they operate as he leads and how he guides, how he wants it to happen. The grace gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, they're on you to do. The gifts of the Spirit happen as the Holy Spirit wants them to happen, which lets you know the gift of faith is not saving faith or faith you use for your everyday life. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't be able to use your faith until you had a leading of God. This is not saving faith. Every believer is given the same measure of faith. It's what you do with the faith you're given to build it up. So, oh, I wish I had the faith of that person over there. Well, they built their faith. You need to build your faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith is built by being acted upon. So it's not talking about saving faith with the faith you use in everyday life or even the shield of faith. Faith here is a special gift where when this faith comes upon you, it's impossible to doubt. It's such a gift from the Holy Ghost. When it comes upon you, it's impossible to doubt. The gift of faith as a power gift receives miracles. It receives the miracle. The working of miracles does the miracle. One receives, the other operates. Now, yes, we can see this in 
different cases for different sicknesses or diseases, how they've infirmed bodies, that you may, the sickness may leave, but there's some recreation that needs to happen in a body. Whether an organ needs to be recreated, you see that in the working of miracles. One of the things a miracle is defined is as something that interrupts the ordinary course of nature. So nature is going this way, and the miracle says, nope, you can go another way. So yes, that can happen in physical bodies. But as we saw it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it wasn't just related to healing miracles or creative miracles in bodies. These were acts of power, another way to describe it, that happened when God's people needed a deliverance. And they happened in different ways. You would see Samson and the anointing on him, what we would consider an Old Testament example of the working of miracles. Now, Samson was an anointed dude. This dude was so anointed that when you look at it in the Hebrew, when they chained him, this is before he walked away and fell away, that the chains would melt off his body. And if it was rope, they would burn away like flax. This is how anointed this dude was. And then it talks about how when he was ready to fight, he said he would shake himself. He did something that was like, okay, it's time to do what God called me to do. And he'll be able to do superhuman feats by the power of the Holy Ghost, which lets me know Samson may not have been that ripped of a dude. Now, when we picture Samson, this dude's got muscles. He looks like Superman. He looks like the Hulk. That's how he did that. The Bible never says that. Our imagination does. But come on, if you, if you saw a guy like that, he's like, okay, I know how he did it. If Samson looked like the Hulk, he was like, I know exactly how he did that. Look how strong he is. Which leads me to believe he was somewhat of a normal-looking human being. Because when the anointing left, they took him easily. Anybody could stop him. Come on, Delilah even held him back. He wasn't that strong in his natural ability. It was the power of the Holy Ghost. But when you look at Samson's ministry, he only made a difference when he stepped up to the plate. He only made a difference when he went out there. It says the Holy Ghost would move him at times. What would the Holy Ghost lead him to do? Lead him to a fight. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will lead you to a fight of faith. He did that with Samson, and he did it with Jesus. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Ghost came upon him like as a dove. The Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He led Jesus to a fight. Jesus' earthly ministry started with a fight. And it wasn't just any demon. It was Satan himself. Do you know what confidence that gives you? After Jesus took on Satan, because remember, Jesus grew like us. He was a man anointed by God, although he was God. He grew in favor and understanding. And you see a progression even in Jesus' ministry. But the ministry of Jesus starts with a fight. And after he beats Satan, think about the mentality would be in you. If I beat him, everything else is easy. So that's how Jesus dealt with all the demons that would show up. I already took out your master. I got you. The Holy Spirit led him to a fight. There are times the Spirit of God will lead you into a tough situation so that you can fight and win. He doesn't lead you to defeat. He leads you to victories. And when you have a victory, it causes other people to experience what God has for them. 
So you might say, oh, you know, the God told me to do this, and it got rough. I must have missed God. No, you might have just hit it right on the nail. Because he doesn't always lead you to places where it's just easy. And, you know, I heard someone use this phrase, you're just skipping through the flowers of Jesus. That would be nice. But that's not what he does. He will sometimes lead you to a fight. Yes, he'll lead you to times of rest. But other times he'll lead you to a fight. He moved Samson to fight. He led Jesus to a fight. And you have to be confident in who God has made you to win that fight. Or if not, you're going to quit. He said, man, I've been fighting a lot this year. Yep. Keep fighting. So the word was restoration. Yeah, fight for it. Well, the word was transformation. Fight for it. Too many times we get excited on New Year's and expect God to do it all himself. No, there is a fight of faith. That's why Paul told Timothy to take the prophecies spoken over him and use it as a weapon in warfare. You must fight the good fight of faith. Not cower, step up to the plate and swing. What if I make a mistake? Repent and keep going. It doesn't say, well, you make a mistake, quit for five years and then get back on path. No, repent and keep going. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life. That's what you were called to do. You must fight. Let's go to Exodus 14. The operation of the gift of faith and working in miracles don't just happen because you stayed home and did nothing. They operate when you take a step out on faith to do what God has called you to do. Now, one of the things we see about the ministry of Moses, you see a lot of the working of miracles in his ministry. Interruptions of the ordinary course of nature on both sides of how it happened. And so when you see Moses, when God calls him, you see a progression with Moses, how God trained him. That he started Moses, which he said, I'll give you two or three signs. Here's what you do. He said, take the staff, throw it down, becomes a serpent. Sign number one. Then he tells him another sign. Hey, take your hand, put it in your pocket, pull it out. Hand look white as snow like a leper. Put it back in. It's normal. He said, this is what you need to do when you go before Pharaoh and talk to the people of Israel. One of the things he's doing is he's training Moses on how to operate in the supernatural. He's training Moses how to operate under the anointing of God, which is the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. He's training Moses on how to do miracles. And so he goes before Pharaoh. You know, he turns staff into serpent, but so do the Egyptian magicians. They have demonic power. But Moses shows how the power of God is greater because his serpent swallows up the other two serpents and then becomes a staff again in Moses' hand. He says, yes, Pharaoh, you've got power, but it doesn't compare to the power of God. But then you look over the next several months, because you read through the book of Exodus, we read, oh, this happened the next day. No, this could have happened over a course of 10 months to a year and a half. And notice when the plagues came down to judge Egypt, they didn't just happen. God, and Moses said, hey, God said to Moses, move back. Here's what I'm about to do. He says, now, Moses, here, what you do? You lift up the staff. No, Moses, you throw this dust. No, you, Moses, you say this. He's training him. God is not doing things independent of Moses. He was doing things through Moses and Moses' faith. We know he had faith because Hebrews 11 said, faith, talking about Moses. He stepped out on all these different things by faith. Now, come on, you know it took a lot of faith for Moses to do these things, to go with Pharaoh. Okay, all right, Pharaoh, look, this water is about to turn to blood. Look, Pharaoh, frogs about to show up. 
most of you are like, why would I go tell? You would say, that's crazy. How in the world, Moses, can he make frogs jump out of the Nile and fill every Egyptian house? How can you call flies and swarms? Moses, how can you make hailstones consumed with fire fall down from the sky? He couldn't by himself, but through the work and miracles and the anointing, he could. And notice he's operating by the leading of the Spirit of God. So he's been doing this for 10 months to a year and a half. God's been training him. Finally, they got the objective that Israel's leaving, and they get literally between a rock and a hard place. There's a rock on one side, there's Pharaoh's army running on the other, and then there is the Red Sea. And then the people of God have no faith. They say, Moses, did you bring us out here to kill us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Moses is in a tough spot. Now, Moses begins to do what a lot of us who had at least some faith would have done. Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Come on, that is a good faith statement. How many think that's a good faith message? Come on, at least Moses has some faith. God is going to move. God's going to bring breakthrough. But notice what God said to Moses. Why are you calling to me? What are you talking to me for? Because Moses took this weight off and said, like, I ain't going to do nothing, God. It's on you. But for the last year and a half, God had been training Moses on how to do miracles and how to operate in the anointing. So notice what God told Moses. Speak unto the children of Israel. Tell them to go forward. Notice there's still a sea. He's like, you tell them first, walk towards that sea. Next, here's what you're going to do. You lift up that staff, you stretch out your hand over the sea, and by implication, you divide it. Moses, you divide the Red Sea. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Notice that. Because, you know, Moses is standing on the other side. There's still an army coming at him. And God gave him supernatural protection and protected him from the army. But when Moses believed that he could, God did. When Moses believed that he could, God did. When he believed that God really had anointed him and called him, he told the people to go forward and stretch out the staff in his hand. A wind came in, part of the sea, dried it up so they could walk across on dry ground. So the walls, the water became like walls on each side of them. Moses stepped up to the plate. You have to step up to the plate. You have to get yourself in a place where God can use you. And it's not because you say, why fast and pray? And fast and prayer is good. And it does help you get yourself in a place where God can use you in a better way. But you just have to believe. Now, they asked Jesus in the Gospels, you know, what do we need to do so we can work the works of God? He said, here's the work of God. Believe on the one he sent. Believe on Jesus. Believe that he is who he said he is. Believe that he lives on the inside of you. Believe he's the baptized in the Holy Ghost. Believe what he said. And step up to the plate. Don't be afraid of missing it. Don't be afraid of getting hit. 
Don't be afraid. Step up to the plate. You are here for such a time as this. This is why you're here. God knew full well what 2020 was going to be like, and he still called for you to be here this year. And the place is where you're at. Because you can make a difference. He's called you to be light. He's called you to bring forth change. He didn't call you to settle with the status quo. He called you to make a difference. And you have to step up to the plate. God has given you authority. He's given you anointing. Use it. You have to believe that when you go out to do what God has called you to do, it's not just your natural ability, but you also have anointing from God. Say, I am anointed. God has anointed you. Yes, you can increase an anointing. And you should go after increasing anointing, but why don't you use what you already got? Some of you pray, God, anoint me more. And God's like, well, I'll do it, but you need to use what I gave you. You have the anointing of God. You have the glory of God, but you must use it. You must shine. And as you do, it'll grow. It's a law of seed time and harvest. You sow, you'll reap. A lot of Christians, you know, 2020 disrupted them because they couldn't come to church and be a consumer anymore. That although we have an American culture, we adopted that and brought some things in the church and had a consumer culture. That we come to church, we consume, but we're not going to do anything with it. Yes, one of, the, one of the reasons you come to church is to be fed spiritually. But we have a lot of people who come to church and they become deep sheep. They have lengthened their spiritual territory with all the word they've consumed. You know, I like what Brother Jesse says. Some people get so deep, they drown. You know, they get so much words, like, you know what? I taught Charles Capp's confession myself. I remember when Dad Hagen first preached his message in the 60s. Woo! I remember when Oral Roberts came to town. No, 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 not in the meetings, but in the tent. I was there. Well, great. Well, what have you done with what they gave you? A lot of us have gotten so much word for decades. Some of you, it's hard for you to remember when you weren't saved. Some of you, it's hard for you to remember when you didn't know the word of faith. It's been a long time. But what have you been doing with what has been given you? Have we just been consumers? Or have we even dared to become producers? That what he's put in me, I can make a difference with. That what he's put in me, I can go forward and bring change. That the word I receive is not just good for me to keep getting it every Sunday. Yes, we should have an addiction to the word and want to get it, but can you use it? And he's like, well, I'll use it when pastor lines up in 35 steps how I can use it every single day. No, look, you have the Holy Ghost. Say, I have the Holy Ghost. Say, I can pray. Say, I can talk to Jesus myself. Because a lot of people, and I've seen it not just here, but in multiple churches I've been a part of, they wait for someone to come up to them and say, hey, this is what God needs you to do. They've been trained. They went to ministry school 20 years ago and don't minister to nobody. Well, I'm waiting for someone to put me on their staff. Why? You're so gifted. You're so anointed. You're so talented. Follow the Holy Ghost. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. You have so much word in you. You say, well, I just got saved this summer. 
He's like, well, but I've been coming to church eight weeks. You got a lot of word. Use it. Well, I know before God uses me, I have to go to ministry. No, I believe in going to ministry school, and I believe you should. That's what God has called you to do. But if we look at the ministry of Jesus, when the demoniac got delivered, he told him, go preach. And what is he preaching? The testimony. Go tell your story. That means we're all anointed to tell our story. Because your story, your testimony, how God delivered you is anointed. You may not have perfected how to deliver it. Your, your delivery may come off rough. And you need some time to practice. But start. Tell somebody. You might say, you know what? Jesus delivered me from this. He saved me from this. I know he can do it for you. Well, cool. Where do we find that in the Bible? I'm not sure. Come to church with me. That's honest. Don't pretend to know something you don't know. It says, I'm still learning too. I got a lot of rough edges. Now just come with me. Come on, watch the broadcast online. Here's what we do. Here's what you need to download. Start somewhere. Use what you got. You're anointed, but you must step up to the plate. You know, in Galatians 5, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the last one. And the King James is called temperance. In other translations, it's called self-control. You have the ability to control yourself. One of the things about meekness and self-control, it gives you the ability to control your emotions and control your body and your actions. One of the things I do with my kids, you know, when you know, they're emotional about something or something's upset and go their way, and they're having a hard time processing, I said, hey, let's stop. Say, God has given me, and I have to repeat after me, God has given me meekness and self-control. So I can control my emotions, and I can control my actions. And so, you know, I've been doing that since, you know, with my four-year-old for a while, to the point that when my two-year-old's upset about something, and I heard her say the other day, Ellie, you need to control your emotions like Daddy tells me. <laughs> what I'm teaching them, they have the ability to do it. And the more they learn they can control it, someone doesn't have to step in and control them. From the youngest age, they can control it. What happens when you control your emotions and control your body? Whereas Paul says, you keep it under. You keep yourself in a position that God can use you in a greater way. You have the ability on the inside of you, but you need to use it. You have to start somewhere. And some people think, well, if I don't use self-control, you know, it's only for the big areas, the big sins. No, it could be for the little stuff. You know you don't need that extra piece of pie at 3 a.m. But pastor, it's calling me. I'm sure it is. But you can say, no, I'm not going to have it now. What is that? That's using self-control. You don't have to log on to Instagram every five minutes. Well, is it wrong to log on Instagram? No, but you have self-control. Stop being led by all these other things, and you be led by the Spirit, and you control yourself. That's self-control. You decide to control your emotions in a time where people are emotionally off the walls every single day. Because so many things that happen. Doesn't mean you don't feel. It doesn't mean you have any emotions. It's just your emotions don't have you. Have emotions, but don't let your emotions have you. Because when you're controlling these things, you can step up to the plate. You can make a difference. When you're controlling your emotions and your actions, someone can say something just off the wall and pop off in front of you, and your response is like, Pastor, let me borrow your bat for a second. You've controlled your emotions. You don't have to respond in kind just because they're acting a fool. You don't have to respond in such a way that doesn't cause me and Minister Isom have to come and bail you out. 
but you took meekness and self-control and said, you know what? I'm not going to ruin my testimony. I'm not going to give in to my emotions. And you check in on the inside. All right, sir, how do you want me to respond to this? And please, sir, respond quickly because I can feel my flesh rising up. Check in with him, and he'll show you what to do. You have to step up to the plate. God has called you. You can make a difference. You're here to be light. A couple more scriptures, and we're going to close. Proverbs 4.18. It says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. The path you're on is supposed to get brighter. It's supposed to be increasing in light. It shines more and more and more while you're growing in light. You should become so brilliant that when people walk by, they thought Jesus walked by. Why? Because he lives in you. And we're called to imitate and mirror him and reflect him. That's how light and bright you're supposed to get. Go to Psalm 119. Say, I am the light of the world. The reason why we call the series The God Spectrum is talking about the light spectrum, how there's many different reflections of light, many different colors that come that we see in the rainbow and the prisms. And the thing is, we're all different. We're not after uniformity, we're after unity. But as the Holy Ghost moves through us and shines through us, it's going to look different. And God has called us to look different. We see 1 Corinthians 12, the diversity of gifts. He has diversities of operations, but it's the same Lord. And maybe, just maybe, the way you shine is what somebody needed. That they may not listen to what I have to say, but because you're different and you're you, it drew them in. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we can't expect to be light if we're not people of the word. So that means you need to be in the word of God every single day. One of the things I encourage people to do is read a chapter out loud every single day. It's like, well, should I start? And one of the things that we just started, I believe, yesterday is we're reading through the book of Daniel on our Faith Plus reading plan. And he said, well, I just need something to read every day. Follow, download the Faith Plus app. It'll send you reminders of what to read. Start somewhere. One chapter a lot a day. It doesn't take you that long, but start somewhere. Read the word for yourself. Listen to messages throughout the week. You can at least listen to one a day. That's one of the reasons we made all of our messages free, whether it's on the Faith Plus app or YouTube or Facebook. It's so people can always have access to growing in the word. Psalm 119, 130. The entrance, the word entrance means unfolding and teaching, of your words give light. It gives understanding unto the simple. And so one of the things, it's been about a month or two ago, I think I was getting ready for my day, and the scripture just popped up in my heart. It says, the entrance of his words give light. And so I said, the entrance of his word gives light, so I'm innovative and I know what to do. So that's been my confession. The entrance of his words gives light, so I'm innovative and I know what to do. Because his word gives understanding to the simple. So what happens if you're a person of the word, and you put yourself in a place to be taught the word, 
and you hear the word on a regular basis, you'll know what to do. And it's not always because what was taught, what you study is what ran into you that day. It's just because you put yourself in a place to hear from God. And now you've made yourself innovative and open yourself up to directions from the Lord to know what to do. We must be people of the word. We must be people of prayer. We must be people who gather together where you gather together in the building or online, you don't miss. Why? It's all of us together. We have to be the light together. Yes, one individual beam can be brilliant, but imagine how much more when we come together and work together and we stand together that we don't allow the enemy to cause division and we don't become a partner of division by the words of our mouth or by speaking on things we don't know anything about. See, the best friend of the spirit of division is ignorance. And so if you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk about it. Don't post about it. Don't retweet it. Don't share it. If you don't know what you're talking about, just leave it. Don't participate with the spirit of division. She's like, you know what? I choose unity. Yeah, we may disagree on some things, but we agree that Jesus is Lord. He wants to use us, so we're going to come together on that. We have to walk together if we expect to be the light. So stand to your feet. Say, I am the light of the world. I am anointed. Say, I will step up to the plate, and God will use me to do miracles. That's what he's called you to do. Each and every one of us. That's our calling. And that's what we do. And if you spend time with God during the week and pray, you'll get your specific instructions. How you're supposed to be light on Monday. How you're supposed to be light on Tuesday. How you're supposed to be light on Wednesday. You say, well, I only have Zoom meetings. How can you be light in your Zoom meeting? So I have to go to the grocery store. How you can be light at the grocery store? You spend time with him, he'll give you your specific instructions. He'll tailor the message to where it applies to you specifically. But then during the week, you'll hear parts of the messages pop up in your head, pop up in your heart, and you yield to what God said. A lot of times, people expect to hear from God in their prayer closet. And if you have a prayer closet, use it. And God does talk to you in times of prayer. But one of the ways he does it very common with me is he talks to me while I live. Yes, I'll get instructions while I pray or I walk because I like to walk and pray or run a few miles and walk and pray for a few miles. But other times, I'm just living and he'll tell me something. Or I'm getting ready for the day, and he'll say something. That's why I named the message today this. I hadn't planned to talk about it in this way, but I'm getting ready, and he reminded me a few stories. And so I sent out a group text. Anybody got a bat I can borrow? What, I was just living, and I heard. Just live. Live before him. That's why it says to Abraham, walk before me. Live before me. And he'll talk to you. Not just in deep spiritual times or when you're in church or watching a broadcast online. Yeah, he'll do that. But just as you live. See, I think I kind of got into this habit of expecting to hear God at different times because as I was growing up, I grew up in the house of faith. I got saved when I was three or four, got baptized in the Holy Ghost in first grade. So I've been walking with God my entire life. But I noticed he would speak to me as a preteen and as a teenager while I play video games. He said, well, that's not spiritual. But I was open. So he talked to me. So I got to a place as a teenager, I'd bring my prayer journal with me 
with my PlayStation 2. Why? God kept talking to me while I played the game. So what I would do, I'd play, I'd pause, I'd write it down, and I'd keep on playing. Live open. And when he says something, write it down, put it in your phone, expect to hear from him. He loves you. He wants to talk to you. Stop telling yourself you can't hear from God. Yes, you can. Because Jesus disagrees with that. He says, my sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. You know the voice of God. Say, I know the voice of God. My God loves to talk to me. So you just live open. Some people will hear God while they're out in nature. And that's scriptural because it says what he's created, the works of his hand, declare his glory. That's scriptural. You'll hear from messages. you hear it as you read. you hear it as you live because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. We just have to hear and obey. We're here to be light, and he'll show us what to do. And some of the instructions aren't so deep. It might be just like, go take a nap. Just chill. Rest. Don't eat that. Just listen. And don't rule it out just because it didn't come in King James English. How many of you speak King James English every single day? Yeah. So don't expect God to speak to you in King James English every single day. Just live. And when you hear something, write it down. So well, I'm not sure if that's right. Compare it with the Word of God. And he said, well, I'm not sure after that. That's when you bring it to spiritual leadership, the elders of the church. It's like you have your own board of advisors. You have friends who can speak into your life and advise you on stuff. Holy Ghost people. But that's why God has given you pastors and a ministry team to help you. Not to replace your ability to hear from God, but help you live this life. We're in this together. Say, I am the light of the world. God wants to shine through me. I am anointed. God wants to do miracles through me. The entrance of his words gives light. So I know what to do, and I'm innovative. The greater one lives on the inside of me. I can do all things through Christ and his anointing, which gives me strength. So, Father, we thank you for calling us, for never leaving us nor forsaking us, for resting upon us and living within us. We thank you that your will for our lives shall come to pass. Instead of being pessimistic by the end of this year, we choose to be full of hope that this is our year of transformation. This is our year of restoration. This is our time of the open door, a time of great acceleration. That everything you said to us shall come to pass. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. 
hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.